Distress Frequency, Horror, Sci-Fi, and Adventure from Columbus, Ohio. Tonight's feature presentation is entitled Making Ends Meet. It's a little story about scruples, like scruples in this economy. Making Ends Meet was written by Jared K. Anderson. Many of you will recognize Jared as the writer and performer of another podcast called The Crypto Naturalist. The Crypto Naturalist is about new and amazing animals, featured fiction and poetry from talented guest contributors, and field reports from fascinating lovers of strange nature. That's a show about finding beauty wherever you look, which I mean is way outside the scope of distress frequency. But if you haven't heard The Crypto Naturalist, you really ought to pause this show and go check out that one. It's cool. We'll be here. Yep, we'll be here. Oh, you're back. Hey, before we get started, let me do some business. You can find show notes to this program at our website, distressfrequency.com. In particular, we'll have biographical information about tonight's featured performers. You can contact us through the site or find us on Twitter at distressfreak, that's distressfreq. And now let us present Making Ends Meet. The online ad hovered somewhere just between free babysitting and get rich working from home on the sketchy meter. But I was sneaking up on my 14th month of unemployment, so... Recalling the lessons of my short stint in law school, I pondered the landmark case of beggar versus chooser and scribbled down the address on a post-it. Surprisingly, I had come to find out that the job market for an almost lawyer with a BA in philosophy wasn't thriving. The ad was vague. Applicants should be dependable, organized, conscientious, punctual. The sketchy factor came from the ad's insistence on confidentiality and the fact that applicants must apply in person and be willing to start immediately. Considering I was certainly available to start right away, I grabbed my coat and headed out. The place was located in a small office complex tucked between a Walmart and a self-storage facility. It seemed that the developer who built the offices had kept costs down by hiring a colorblind architect who could draw nothing but uniform cubes. On the bright side, it was a tidy, efficient-looking place. That did something to lessen my fear that I was headed off to have my organs harvested. I checked my hair in the window, made sure everything was buttoned and zipped, and headed in. I found myself in a tiny beige room dominated by a big glass security window. Behind the window sat a business-like young woman who quickly swiveled away from her keyboard to scrutinize me. She pressed a button on the desk, and the intercom next to the window crackled to life. May I help you? Yes, I saw your online ad. I'm here to apply for your clerk position. (laughs) Okay. She swiveled back to her desk to rummage in a drawer. She produced a clipboard and, turning back toward the window, passed the paperwork to me through one of those metal drawers in the wall, like they have at bank drive throughs and gas stations. There was no place to sit down. So I hovered in front of the window, trying to balance the clipboard on the little lip of a counter. Is there a table to write on? No. Okay, I guess I'll... (laughs) I'm a problem solver! (laughs) Um, ever been convicted of a felony? Nope. Authorized to work in the United States? Check. Address? Highest level of education? Oh boy, previous job, not applicable. Uh, is this... Explain your view on higher powers and providence in general. That's it. What does that mean exactly? It is what it says. I hesitated, checked with my ragtag band of scruples. 
and quickly decided that I didn't mind working for a passably benign cult if it meant that I could stop eating ramen for every meal and making improvised coffee filters from old paper towels. I shrugged and answered somewhere on the spectrum between non-judgmental atheist and skeptical agnostic. I signed the other forms with hardly a glance. Scruples were for people with other options. I passed the clipboard back to the young woman and continued standing awkwardly in the tiny off-white room. Just a moment. She rose and carried the clipboard off to the right of the window and out of my field of view. She returned in a few minutes, without the clipboard, and spoke into the intercom. I assume you can start today? I nodded, biting back on a hundred questions, each of which seemed both perfectly reasonable and quite capable of blowing the only real job prospect I'd had in months. You'll be working as an independent contractor. You'll be paid by check at the end of each shift. Shifts may last up to, but not exceed, eight hours a day. There are no scheduled breaks. You may come and go as you please, but productivity is a factor in your continued employment. I'll have a 1099 form for you to fill out when you leave today. Do you agree to these terms? Um, yes? I'm sending a key through to you through the drawer. Inside the drawer was one silver key. The key opens both the outer door and the door to the production room. You'll find your 1099 in the drawer with your first check when you leave. Uh, do I need to clock in or out? No. Thank you. Um, well, I'm looking forward to working with you. She turned her attention back to her work, and I had the impression that the intercom was no longer on. I eyed the key, then pivoted to look for the production room door. I would have sworn that the front entrance had been the only way in or out of the room, but there it was. An unremarkable beige door with a silver handle and silver deadbolt. Finding the door locked, I fitted the key, turned it, and walked into the production room. My cult guess was still in the lead, but I was beginning to revisit my about-to-have-my-vital-organs-harvested feeling. The room was black. All of it, save for a pale strip of illuminated tile set into the ceiling. The dim lighting ran parallel to some sort of conveyor belt that spanned the length of the room. It didn't look like any machinery I had ever seen before. The belt was segmented, made from square sections of some kind of weathered-looking wood, held into place by a jointed framework of dark metal, like wrought iron. The place smelled like mildew and sawdust. Just in front of the belt was a gray metal stool and a low table with a bucket on it. I was just trading my I wonder what's in the bucket question with the more reasonable what am I still doing here question when the intercom next to the door buzzed to life. I jumped and, yes, maybe peed a little, but I didn't shriek or fall down and I counted that as a win. Please have a seat. To my surprise, I actually found myself doing as he asked. I spared a brave look into the bucket as I lowered myself onto the stool. It had the sheen of some dark liquid, but I couldn't tell what it was. The room wasn't cold, but I noticed that my breath was visible in the dim light. There's a pedal just in front of your right foot. Press it slowly to move the belt. When you see a box in front of you, stop the belt and I'll give you further instructions. Sounds good. Okay. Here goes. I pressed the pedal and the belt clacked and creaked into motion. (laughs) 
The belt entered the room from a square opening in the wall over to my left. It carried a continuous line of identical black boxes. In front of each box was a square of sable black cloth and a coil of copper wire. The first box pulled up in front of me. Remove the contents of the box and place them in the center of the cloth. I did so. There was a single shriveled strawberry and a few old bottle caps. You will be gathering the cloth around the items and tying it fast with the wire. But before you do, you need to add something of your own. <laughs> Not a kidney, though. Right? You must whisper a secret into the cloth before you seal it. It must be something you've never told another living soul. Whisper a what now? Do this in earnest, boy. I'll know the difference. Okay, I will. I felt an odd external sort of pressure coaxing the words from me. The room felt a few degrees colder. I shuddered, and I managed to shake it off and turn my attention back to the little cloth in my hands. My fingers were trembling, but I brought the little improvised pouch up to my mouth. <clears throat> I stole ten dollars from my mother's purse after she wouldn't let me go to Tyler Triplett's birthday party. Good. Now tie it shut and dip the cloth into the bucket and place it back in the box. Continue in this fashion until you end your shift. Lock the door behind you as you leave. I dipped the cloth in the bucket. I still couldn't tell what was in there. Tea, maybe, or just dirty water? It was too thin to be any of the grosser options I could come up with. I returned the dripping little black bag back to the box and pressed the pedal just enough to bring the next section of wood in front of me. This time, there was a half-smashed pocket watch and a couple of those goldfish crackers. <clears throat> I used to masturbate to J.C. Penny catalogs. The next box contained a dented thimble and a vial labeled churchyard rain. In high school, I ran over my neighbor's cat and pretended I hadn't noticed. Dip the cloth, close the box, press the pedal. A new box. Inside was a fragile cicada shell and the acrid smell of burnt hair. I shrugged and tried to gather both the shell and the smell into the cloth. I'm afraid to walk past mirrors in the dark. I was surprised how quickly I could come up with unique secrets. I never would have guessed I had so many secrets, but they flowed out of me faster and faster, even as my speed increased with the repetitive little gestures of the work. It was actually kind of fun. Cathartic. The next box contained a partially burned Polaroid photograph of a snapping turtle and a scuffed tube of red lipstick. <clears throat> I once wiped my ass with a dollar and gave it to the homeless lady who panhandled in front of Burger King in Athens, Ohio. <laughs> then I came to the box with a little finger. It was a pale, bloodless little thing that weighed nothing at all. It looked like it might have belonged to a child. With it, a scrap of denim and three perfect little teeth. I felt my stomach twist a bit as I swallowed back hard on my impulse to retch. 
I looked at the little bits of another human being laid out on the tiny cloth in front of me and felt my initial shock and surprise galvanize into something cold and numb. If possible, the emptiness was even worse than the horror that was trying to gain some sort of footing in my disparate thoughts. I stood up, turned from the belt, and walked to the door. Some part of my brain warned me about angering whoever was behind this place, but my body was on autopilot. It registered that the situation had become unacceptable and was, consequently, removing me from it. Just as simple as that. I walked back into the miniature lobby, which seemed absurdly bright and warm after the production room. I turned to walk out the front door, but something stopped me. A shape in my peripheral vision. I turned toward it. There, in the metal drawer that was jutting out from the wall beneath the security window, was a little rectangle of a check. I picked it up. It had my name on it. And next to my name, an amount. One thousand dollars! The memo line read, Two hours. I blinked at the little slip of paper for a moment and felt something strange. A smile was stretching my face. I looked from the check back to the door of the production room. And I thought of the finger and the teeth. Yeah, lots of industries use cadavers. I mean, are medical students evil? I mean, are dentists dangerous? I had jumped to an unfair conclusion. Whatever this business is, it must be regulated by somebody, right? I folded the check and placed it in my wallet. Then I retrieved the 1099 from the drawer and filled in my information. I sent the drawer back through the wall with a clank and turned and locked the production room door with my little silver key. I had to unlock the front door to exit. As I stepped outside, I felt eyes on my back. I turned to see the young woman standing on the other side of the window. She stood perfectly motionless, watching me with blank eyes. Directly behind her was a man. He was head and shoulders taller than she, but rail thin. He looked to be wearing an ill-fitted suit of some odd, ropey material that streamed down from his skeletal frame. His face was a featureless gray mask. Eh, probably one of those sterile suits for working with sensitive equipment, I figured. I'll see you tomorrow. The man and woman waved in perfect unison. I nodded cheerfully and headed off to pay my rent and buy a steak. I was already thinking of new secrets. Heck, I could even create a few more secrets before work tomorrow. Things were finally beginning to go my way. You've been listening to Making Ends Meet, written by Jared K. Anderson and produced for Distressed Frequency by Tony Goins. The man who spoke to you was Stefan Langer, and the receptionist was portrayed by Emily Turner. You heard a number of sounds from freesound.org, which are gratefully acknowledged on our website. Both Emily and Stefan are well-known actors around town. Stefan most recently appeared as Thomas Jefferson in Red Hearing Productions' Discord and Scaramouche in The Emperor of the Moon with Actors Theatre of Columbus. Emily is a playwright and actor whose full-length show, Girl in Progress, was recently produced by Red Herring Productions. And she was the playwright in residence at Curtain Players Theatre as part of its 2019 New Works Initiative. So, yeah, don't sleep on those two. We'll have more info on both Emily and Stefan, as well as links to Jared K. Anderson's work on our website, distressedfrequency.com. Making Ends Meet marks the beginning of our second season. We'll have some goodies coming up for you. Uh, this season on Distress Frequency, you'll visit the last circus on Earth, get mixed up in the worst trip in the world, 
meet a woman who traded her eyes for forbidden knowledge, and travel into the depths with H.P. Lovecraft. Stay with us. But as for me, I gotta get back to work. I really just do this show to relieve the boredom of my daily existence. I'd like to do episodes more often. Producing a show is more fun than releasing and promoting it. It's a living.